Good job. Hey, uh, this morning we're going to pray and spend some time in prayer together. Um, you know, um, we come into this room with all kinds of things, issues going on in our lives. Uh, I can assure you they're in the dozens, if not in the hundreds, of things that we're dealing with, decisions that we have to make, um, really, really hard situations going on at home. Uh, discouragement, there's depression, there's anxiety, there is loss of hope. There's all kinds of things going on in this room right now. I know that. But you know what? This is one of the reasons you're here. Because when we come together and we sing and we pray and we talk to the Lord and we listen to what he has to say to us, it, it puts life into perspective for us. And I just want you to know this morning, if you're not a Christian, if you're not there yet, I understand and I get it. But I just want you to live this morning in this service in light of the people that are around you. Because there are people around you that have incredible hope and they've gone through stuff like you. You know, and as we pray, I just want to encourage all of us. We can go to the God of the universe, the God who created all things right now, and talk to him. Can you believe that? I mean, the, the, the God who made you, who created you, he cares so much about you. Every person. God created every one of us. We lived different lives. But all of us have value in the eyes of God. And that's why we're here. That's why Jesus came and he bled and he died, and he was buried, and he rose from the dead to give us life, to give you hope. So let's just spend a few moments this morning praying, asking the Lord um, for the things that he wants us to talk to him about. Let's talk to him about the things that we want to talk to him about. And so let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning that, Lord, we can sing loudly, and then we can come to you quietly. Understanding, God, that you hear, you see, you understand us better than we understand ourselves, better than anyone around us understands us, better than God, uh, this world understands us. You see us for who we are, you know who we are, you know where we are in our lives right now, and God, you you are a God who is great and mighty. Knowing all of that and seeing all of that, you know what we've done, what we've said, mistakes that we've made in our lives. You also understand and know the things that people have done to us. And yet, you never left us helpless. You didn't leave us alone. You didn't make this world and then run off and abandon us. But you are near to us right now, right here, in this room. You're near to us. And you're a God who is great and mighty. A God who loves us. We don't even understand what love is apart from you, God. We don't understand what 
forgiveness is apart from you. We don't understand what joy, true joy is apart from you. Certainly can't find it in this world. We certainly can't find peace in this world. We might find it for a day, God, or two days, or a short period of time, or a season. But God, it doesn't last because nothing in this world lasts. But you remain. To know you is to know a God who, Lord, never abandons us, never leaves us. To know a God who is near to us, who walks with us through difficult seasons and difficult days. You are worthy, God, of our worship this morning. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of us singing loudly and losing our voice because, God, you are a God who is worthy. And we're here today to worship you. We're here today to, Lord, listen to you. We know we're sinners. We know we're broken. We come to you this morning, God, just asking you to stir our hearts, lead us to a place of repentance in our hearts. We need that to come to you and to realize that we need true and genuine godly sorrow that leads to repentance in our life. And we are met with a God this morning that does not condemn us, but Lord, restores us, forgives us, redeems us. And so we thank you this morning, Lord, for your goodness, your grace, your mercy upon our lives. You are good, you are mighty, you are great, you are worthy of our worship. We pray your blessing on this time as we look into your word. You have a word for all of us this morning. Would you challenge us? Would you convict us? Would you encourage us, God? Would you lead us to yourself? Lead us to the truth because, Lord, we live in a world that is swimming with untruth, things we can't count on, things that seem okay and then they, they betray us. But you are a God of truth. So, Lord, speak into our hearts today. Encourage us, challenge us, convict us. We give you this time, Lord, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, take a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, what I want to encourage you to do is take one of the Bibles in the seat backs in front of you, and I want you to open your Bibles to one verse this morning. We're going to look at Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at 23, one verse. And uh, we're going to look this morning at this idea of two ways to live. We'll start with a riddle this morning. Is it okay to share a riddle with you? I'm on the clock, so I'm not going to give you a lot of time to think about the riddle. But I'm going to share a riddle with you. You come to a fork in the road. There are two paths. One path leads to life. The other path leads to death. There are two guards at the front of the pathways. One of the guards always tells the truth. One of the guards always lies. You have one question to ask. You only have one guard to ask, what do you do? What question do you ask? And which guard do you ask? Because you don't know which guard lies, and you don't know which guard tells the truth. I'm on the clock. I'm not going to give you a lot of time to think about it. But I'm going to give you the answer. You see, the answer is really simply found in this. You just pick a guard, and you ask the guard one question. And the question is this. Look at the other guard and tell me what he would say when asked, what is the pathway that leads to life? Ah, because here's the thing. If you're asking the question of the guard that's telling you the truth, you're going to know the answer. If you're talking to the guard that's lying to you, guess what? You're also going to know the answer. The fact of the matter is, 
And I'm really thankful this morning that God does not make life and how to find life a riddle. He doesn't come to you and I and try to do the bait and switch in our life. He doesn't come to you and I and try to trick us or make it really hard to figure out who he is and figure out how to find him and figure out life in all its respects. God makes it very simple and very clear for us. The fact of the matter is the, that life in, in and of itself, for us as Christians, for us as non-Christians in this room, life in and of itself always presents forks in the road, doesn't it? We're all products of decisions that we've made. Forks in the road. Should I choose this or should I choose this? Sometimes we make bad decisions. Sometimes we make the right decisions. The fact of the matter is, when I think about these forks in the road, when we walk through these forks in the road, the reality is the wrong pathway always leads to a place of confusion, a place of chaos, a place where there may seem to be peace, but it doesn't end with peace. I, I can seem to walk down the road of peace or joy or hope, and it may be shallow hope, like, like my, putting my hope in the government or, 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 or putting my hope in a relationship. If I just find this one relationship, if I, if I, if I just get this one guy or if I just get this one girl and I, and I enter into this relationship with them, then there's going to be this, like hope or peace or joy or all of these kinds of things. But whenever I follow the wrong pathway, it always and inevitably leads to conflict. Just look at our world today. It's a mess. Am I right? <laughs> I mean, look at our government and look at America and look at the world today full of conflict. And, and it leaves us when we lay our heads on our pillows at night with this incredible sense of how do we get out of this? Maybe that's what you're asking about with your own home or your own family or your own marriage or your own personal life. Like, no one may know anything going on in your heart, in your heart or your life, and, and you as an individual put on a face of joy and you're smiling and you're, you know, you're, you're engaged with people. But at home, when you look in the mirror, at home when you're alone at night, you look, or early in the morning, you look at a person who's extremely discouraged and depressed and anxious and, and always comparing yourselves to other people or other things, Right? When we follow the wrong path, it always leads to these kinds of things. Jesus, when I think about this last week in the life of Jesus, he begins the week riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Think about the story with me. Rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. We looked at that last Sunday. He comes in, he looks around, and he goes out. He goes back to the city called Bethany, and he sleeps, and he stays the night there with his disciples. And then, of course, we know the story. And he comes into Jerusalem. He hangs out a lot in the temple. And there in the temple in Jerusalem, he teaches. He's, he's always teaching, not as one who is teaching about the Bible or the Word of God, but he is, has authority over the Word of God. And it tells us that the religious leaders, when they interacted with, with Jesus, they were always trying to trip him up. They were always trying to challenge his authority, but it never worked. And so day after day, time after time, this is what's happening in the life of Jesus in his last week here on earth. And then we get to Thursday. Thursday, he gathers all his disciples together in this upper room, and we know they go through the, the supper, the last meal there in Passover, and he takes a bread, and he breaks it, and he says, this is my body that's broken for you. And he says this wine, and he, they, they drink the wine together, and he says, this is the blood as a covenant. 
we're all together in this. God was doing something supernatural. Jesus is doing something supernatural there. We know the story of the betrayer, Judas, who betrays Jesus that night. He ends up betraying Jesus to the religious leaders that particular night. You know the story, right? Because if you're, you're thinking about the story, you know what happens next. He's what? Arrested. And he's arrested that night by the religious leaders. There is this fight that ensues. And then there is this monkey trial. Jesus goes on trial in the middle of the night. They're not following their own law. They're not doing anything that they're supposed to be doing. These religious leaders, they haul Jesus in. They spit on him. They slap him around. They beat him. They treat him poorly. They, they drum up people to lie about him. And then they lie about him. False witnesses. They get him on the stand. They say, yeah, Jesus did this. Jesus did that. It wasn't true. But it didn't matter. They were just trying to get him through a conviction. And so Jesus is convicted, right? But he, they can't crucify him on the cross. So they take him to the religious leader. And we know the story. The religious leader then takes him and he scourges him, takes the, the cat of nine tails, whips Jesus, rips the skin off of his flesh, all of these things, ridicules him, mocks him. The Romans want to release him. The Jews are screaming at him, yelling and saying, don't release Jesus. We want him crucified. We want him crucified. So we know the story. Jesus is then going to be crucified. He suffers. He goes to the top of a, of a hillside. <clears throat> he is nailed to a cross. His body is literally broken in the sense that his body is being ripped to shreds. He has a crown of thorns pressed upon his head. Jesus is nailed to the cross. He's now bleeding. He's now trying to hold himself up so that he doesn't asphyxiate. And his lungs close up and he, and he, he suffocates to death. And there Jesus suffers on the cross for hours on end. He is suffering. All because the sin of the world is on his shoulder. Jesus, his life wasn't taken from him. He willingly laid his life down. He was Jesus. He could have done anything he wanted to do, but he willingly laid down his life. He dies, right? We know the story. He's buried. We've been singing about it this morning. He rises from the dead three days later, right? The tomb is open. Jesus comes out. He's gone. And that's why we're here. But the fact of the matter is this. You don't have to take my word for it. You can be out there this morning and you can say to yourself, listen, I'm not believing in that story. That's a fairy tale. That's a really good kid's book. But I'm not believing in that. You don't have to believe in my, my rendition of it. What you could believe, though, are the hundreds of people who saw him after he was dead, buried, and rise, risen from the dead. Or, or no, better than that, you could go and talk to and interview one of the disciples who then saw Jesus, talked to Jesus, had interaction with Jesus, and who literally for the rest of their lives were willing to, to lay down their lives and were all executed and were all died a martyr's death, not for a dead man, but for a, a man who had risen from the dead. Or you could listen to and interview P Paul the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, who was ravaging the church in the early days when the church first church started. And there is Saul, who is going from place to place, ripping and taking families out of their household because they're trying to stomp out this movement called Christianity. And then all of a sudden, Saul has this radical transformation, sees Jesus, becomes Paul, then dedicates his entire life to all kinds of suffering and struggle and difficulty for a dead man? No, for a living man. Because he knew the truth. So don't take my word for it. Take the historical inaccuracies that we see in the scriptures, right? You see, we're not here today to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we are here to do this. We know that it did happen. The question is, why did it happen? And what do you do with that story this morning? You see, the Bible is always bringing us to a fork in the road. 
there are only, listen to me, there are only two ways to live your life. There's only two ways. Either you follow the life that leads to death or you follow a life that leads to, or a road that leads to life. And this verse that we're going to look at this morning shows us this very thing. What it shows us are three little contrasts I want to point out for you all this morning. Three simple contrasts that we see to help us understand this very simple truth. No riddle, but a simple message that God has for us. Look in your Bibles this morning, and it's on the screens in front of you, right there. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me read it again. With you on the screens. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter where you are in your life, Christian, non-Christian, wherever you are in your life, we all serve one master. No matter whether you want to serve that master or not in, in the sense of where you think you're serving that master, it doesn't, that's irrelevant. You're serving one master, only one of two. In fact, that's what the verse is pointing out for us, that contrast that we all serve one master. There are only two possibilities. Either I'm serving myself that leads to sin, or I'm serving God that leads to himself, right? There's these two things that I'm serving. I'm serving one or the other. The Bible says there, are, there is no gray area. I can't serve one or the other. I can't serve one 70% of the time in 30. I can't do a 50-50, stay on the, on the fence and do a 50-50 in some way. No, the Bible says this very clearly for us, that we are all born enslaved to sin. That's why, like, like when you, those of you who have kids and those of you who have raised kids, you don't have to teach your children to say no to you. Did you teach your four or five-year-old to look at you and say, no? What kind of cultural context were they in where they learned that? Like, they, they hadn't been in school yet, right? We, we know this about our kids, right? We know that we all were this way, and we know our kids are this way. We see that, that enslavement or that, 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 that kind of built-in desire not to respect authority, but to rebel against authority. And the Bible, all the Bible does is point out the truth of the reality of what that is. And so we're all born to slave, enslaved to this idea of sin. We are all inclined to follow ourself that leads to sin. You know how this happens? There, is a two, there are two verses over in James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. I've got him here for us this morning. Listen to these two verses. It says this, James helps us understand how we end up in, sin, in a place of sin. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by the guy down the road. Or, or, or by, my, by my, 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 that person who treated me badly. No, by my what? Own desire, right? And then let's listen to what it says. When it has, well, then desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to what? Sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There it is, life and death. Like, it, it, I have two particular masters that I'm going to serve. Either I'm going to serve myself that leads to sin, or I'm going to serve God in my life. We hear it a lot. People who say, well, I'm a good person or I'm a bad person. Essentially what I'm doing when I say I'm a good person or a bad person is I'm comparing myself to the best person I know in my life or I compare myself to the worst person I know in my life. And so to your, your standard or my standard of when I say, you know, I'm a really good person or I think I'm doing pretty good, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm comparing myself, my goodness, if you will, to the person down the street or to the person down here. Or I'm comparing myself to that person who does something really, really bad and say, well, at least I'm not like that person. 
I'm, at least I'm a better father than that guy, or, or at least I'm a better wife than that lady down the street. At least I'm not doing that, or at least I'm not saying that. And this is, we hear this all the time. We, we tend to, to begin to compare ourselves. We compare ourselves to good and to bad or better people. What matters to God is not whether we're good or bad. What matters to God is whether we're serving ourselves that leads to sin or, or we're serving God himself. Who is your master? That's what we see here. The Bible says, who do you serve? Do you serve yourself that leads to sin or do you serve God himself? There are two masters and we all serve one of them. Let's look at the verse again. I'm going to read it for us again. Romans 6.23 says again, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a second contrast there in the verse. It's a very simple contrast for us to understand. We all receive something from that master in which we serve, don't we? We all serve one master, and depending on the master that you serve, it's going to lead to something that you receive in return. We either receive wages, do you notice that? Or we see, receive what? A free gift. The two are not the same. The two are completely and entirely different. They have nothing in common. Think about the wage for a moment there. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, Christ Jesus our Lord. Two particular things we receive, and think about the wage for a moment. That's something that you earn. That's something you and I deserve. For example, in my right pocket this morning, I have a crisp $100 bill. Now, don't y'all go pick in my pocket later, okay? No kids coming up to me, giving me big old hugs, slipping their hand in my pocket for this $100 bill. Here's the thing. If I said to you, one of you kids or anybody, for that matter, and I said, I'll tell you what, I got three vehicles at home right now in my driveway. Later this afternoon, if you show up and you wash all three of those vehicles, and you vacuum them out really, really good, maybe throw some wax on. How about that? I'm going to take this $100 bill out, and I'm going to go, there you go. You would say, and you would walk, and you would go home, or you'd go tell your friends if you're a kid or a student. You'd go tell your friends, hey, I went to the pastor's house, washed his cars, took me maybe a couple hours, but I earned like 50 bucks an hour. That's pretty good. You hear what I said? You earned 50 bucks an hour. You would say that you deserved it. You didn't do it out of the goodness of your heart just because it's Resurrection Sunday. You did it because you wanted to earn a hundred bucks. You'd be signing up for it. That's the reality of what wages are, right? You work, you go to school. I mean, you, you, you go to work. Some of you are retired now, but you are living off of your earnings, off of your investments, all of the things that you earned over the course of that lifestyle, out of your work or your work career and you put a little bit of money aside so now you have investments and now you live off of those investments, right? It's not money that was just freely given to you. It's money that you earned. It's money that you deserved. And so you live in light of that. Some of you are continuing to work so you receive a paycheck week to week or every other week or every month. We understand that and we get that. But look at the verse again. It says, but the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So listen, there is a difference in wages, and there is a difference in something that's called a free gift. A free gift. The fact of the matter is, what is a free gift? It's not something that's earned. It's not something that is even expected. It's something that comes even unexpected. It's some, something that I didn't receive because I earned it, because I deserved it. For example, in my left pocket this morning, 
many, many years ago, my grandfather, who worked really, really hard over 30 years as a coal miner in West Virginia. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? In 1982, those who worked with him in his, his area, he was a foreman over a shop, and all the men who worked around him went together on one of his anniversaries, and they bought him a gift, and it was a pocket watch. And just a few years ago, I received this pocket watch. My grandfather now is gone to be with Jesus now, but this pocket watch that was given to him as a gift, I certainly didn't work for it. I didn't earn it. What was given to me is a gift. That's something that I look to and I see something like that and I say, you know what, I didn't earn that. I didn't deserve that, but it was given to me and so I keep it at a place of honor in my own home. One thing in my right pocket is something that is earned. It's called wages. The other thing in my left pocket is something that is given as a free gift. Now look at the verse again. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, we all serve one master, and that particular master in which we serve, we're going to receive a particular thing from that master. One is the wage, and the wage is that when I serve sin, it's going to lead to, I serve myself that leads to sin, it's going to lead to punishment, it's going to lead to judgment by God. If I serve God with my life, then it's going to lead to this free gift that God gives to me called grace and mercy that is poured out towards me. It is his kindness towards me, even though I deserve, I deserve to not be in his presence because I'm not holy, I'm not righteous in any way, but what God gives me is something like called grace in return, his kindness towards me that is undeserved. It's God's favor despite your brokenness and sin in your life. We all receive something, but listen, God says that that master we serve is going to lead to that destination in which we find ourselves in. I mean, look at the verse again. I'll read it for the 10th time. You ready? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see the destination? For the wages of sin is what? Death. The free gift of God is what? Eternal life. Two destinations of which we find ourselves in. The master in which we follow gives us things, determines the things, but it also determines the destination in which we find ourselves. It's either going to lead to life or it's going to lead to death. You see, if my master is myself that leads to sin, that's going to lead me to a place of death, spiritual death. If I follow God with my life, if I follow Jesus Christ with my life, then it's going to lead me to a place of life, that it all comes down to whether I obey or disobey the things that God gives me in his word. If I choose to follow the pathway that leads to God, it's going to lead me to life. If I follow the pathway that leads me to sin, it's going to lead to death. You see, death is something that the Bible says we're all going to experience. Physical death, we're all going to leave this earth. We're born, we live our lives, and we die. That's a 100% guarantee. But the Bible says this to you and I, that if I follow myself that leads to sin, and I continue to perpetually live in that state of sin, then it's going to lead me not just to a place of physical death, but this, this spiritual death of being completely and eternally separated from him. In fact, Revelation 20 gives us a very vivid image of what hell looks like, a lake of fire, of misery and suffering. There is no hope. There is no help. There is no life. Even though I'm eternally in that place. But that's not the worst part. 
The worst part is that I'm eternally separated from God. I can't be in his presence. Which means that if I'm living that kind of life, then what you're experiencing in this world is the best. You're at the pinnacle of what life has to offer you. There's nothing better. Got cancer? Nothing better than that. Marriage about to fall apart? Nothing better than that. Extremely discouraged, depressed? Nothing better than that. Yay. The Bible says this, that if I follow God with my life and if I follow God with my heart, then it leads me not to a place of spiritual death, but it leads me to a place of eternal life. I mean, that's what the verse says. Let me read it for the 11th or 12th time. You ready? For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life. That's the beauty of the good news of Jesus, that it leads to eternal life. It leads to a place of of being everlasting, or everlasting existence with him, of knowing God, of being in his presence, of knowing that my faith now turns to sight. I no longer have to believe in something that, that I cannot see. I, I cannot believe, don't no longer have to believe and continue to have these convictions in my heart, those convictions, 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 belief, 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 all of a sudden turns to sight. There he is. And I live eternally in his presence. That's the beauty of understanding that I receive uh, this, this relationship that I have with God, of knowing him, but the Bible says that I receive this crown of righteousness. You don't get to exalt yourself. God does. And it's this kind of this window of opportunity that God gives us here on earth. And no matter if it's five years or two years or 80 years or 90 years, if you live to 103, 103 years on earth, God gives you this window to, window to believe in him and to know him. But at the moment that you step from this life into eternity, if I've given my life to Jesus Christ, then I have this crown of righteousness. How beauty, beautiful is that? John 17, 3 says this. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How is all of this possible? Well, that's why you're here. Last weekend in Houston was the final four. My son and I love college basketball. We were down there for a couple days, Friday into Saturday, doing the pre-final four festivities. We were down there hanging out with people all over the country, uh, down in downtown Houston. It was a fun time. It was an awesome time that we had just hanging out down there with basketball players and guys from teams all over the country, coaches who were walking around, and we'd walk through and say, hey, look at that guy. You remember him in March Madness? You remember that shooter over there? There he is walking. It was a fun time, but, but there was this sign after sign that I would see, and it said this, the road to the championship runs through Houston, because that's where it all ended. 64-plus teams playing their hearts out, all the way getting down to four teams that would find themselves in Houston, Texas, playing it out last Saturday and, 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 and seeing them play for the championship on Monday night. And there was this time of of excitement, of joy, that all roads led to Houston. What I want to say to us this morning and really encourage us today is that how does all of this happen? All roads lead through Jesus. The fact of the matter is the road to life runs through Jesus. Look at the verse again for the 13th time. You ready? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. How? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
He's making it very clear 